You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com. The largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton and Alex Barallo. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. As always, thank you so much for tuning in to talk about uh, the finale, the 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 ending of what was a largely terrible football season. Jets close it out with a victory over, the, if you want to call it that, the Jets beat the Buffalo Bills backups. To six. Um, I mean, what can you say? Um, you're playing a team that's playing for nothing. They have most of their backups in the game, their backup quarterback. Uh, at one point, the Bills, <clears throat> for those of you who bothered to tune in, had a wide receiver playing cornerback. It was only a couple plays, two, three plays. But I'll tell you what, you do that against a good coach, and he's going he's gonna to try to burn you. Going to try to beat you deep, uh, especially when that that wide receiver who's playing corner is lined up on Robbie Anderson. Uh, three plays, I think it was, and uh, three run plays. Adam Gase, wide receiver covering Robbie Anderson, and uh, they ran it three times. So that's what you get with Adam Gase. Ultra conservative, ultra boring. Uh, more losses than wins. Once again, kind of his thing. So. The fans have been warring on on the Twitter and on the Facebook uh, apps, and people are pissed off, and I get it. And there's part of me that's like, man, just stop arguing, you know? But then there's the part of me that that completely understands, you know, because, again, even when the, even when something goes right for the Jets, there's just got to be something missing that prevents them from sort of taking that next step. And at the moment, my my belief, maybe hey, time will tell, maybe I'll be wrong. But uh, right now, I think uh, that's the head coach. If you've been listening to the show this year, you're well aware of that. I don't think Adam Gase is very good. I think Adam Gase showed, we saw this week, a few days ago, uh, Adam, one thing Adam Gase did this year that really surprised me was if you looked at his pressers after the tough losses after, during the losing streaks, he really conducted himself like an adult. Um, that's not something he was able to do in Miami. Often flew off the handle, snarky, you know, smart-ass answers if he didn't like a question. And so we had it the other day. First presser after the season. One of the first questions, Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News. Now, I don't have any, I don't, I don't have the problems with Manish that everyone else has, or that many people seem to have. I don't think Manish is perfect. I don't think anybody is. But Manish, to me, asked what I thought was a 100% fair question. Because of the fact that we have seen so many times this year, we saw Le'Veon Bell disappear. We saw Le'Veon Bell. And, and people, I, I don't know what it is, man. I mean, I, I feel like if you're following this team and engaging with other fans and beat writers and bloggers and whoever, like clearly you've got a passion for this team, and I can respect that. I don't know why the hell we do, but I can respect that. But to have people say, the number of people, I, I, I tweeted out that, you know, Bell disappeared for long stretches during the season. And all the people are coming back with his average yard per carry. Three yards a carry, 3.2 a carry. What do you expect? Of course, he's going to disappear. Blah, blah, blah. How, many, how can you not be aware of the fact that Le'Veon Bell is a dual-threat guy? And I'm not talking about screens and swings out of the backfield. I'm talking as a pass catcher lined up at receiver. That's one of the reasons the Jets signed this guy. That's why he's so dangerous. That's why he was expected to add so much to the offense, because you can use him in multiple roles. 
And that didn't happen under Adam Gase. And because it didn't happen, and because we never saw him lined up at receiver, it's like people forgot that that's a thing. By the way, Alex, not with us at the moment. Uh, my understanding was that he would be with us tonight. Uh, messaged him a little while ago, haven't heard anything. So we'll, we'll stand by on that. But back to Le'Veon Bell. I got people harping about his yards per carry. Well, he disappeared because he was averaging three a carry. Okay. My point is, a guy like that shouldn't disappear because there are other things he can do to help your offense. Line him up in the slot. Line him up on the boundary. Oh, but but he had to stay back there because they needed a running back to block. Is what other people are telling me. Uh, you ever heard of Bilal Powell? He's on the Jets, number 29, running back. One of the best blocking backs in the league, picking up the blitz. You lose nothing or next to nothing if you put Bilal Powell in the backfield and Le'Veon Bell in the slot. Adam Gase had no time for that. I tweeted out a couple times during the season. 77 reps out of the slot with the Steelers two years ago. With the Jets this year, at 30. Less than half of what he had in Pittsburgh. So don't don't tell me that the reason he disappeared is because the, the run blocking is terrible. I know the run blocking is terrible. I get that. But the reason they leave you on a ton of money is because he can help you more than one way. Not with Adam Gase. He can run it right up into a pile, or he can get a screen pass. No no quick slants over the middle. Nothing, no try to create a matchup with a linebacker where he can beat him with his quickness and get open. None of that. Genius offensive innovator. And this is what's frustrating. And I feel like I, this is something I try to say like at least every third or fourth episode. I'm not pretending I know more about football than Adam Gase. Of course I don't. I know that. But how does he not know? that Le'Veon Bell is a threat as a wide receiver. And I, I joked earlier in the year, I joked and said, oh, maybe the Jets should go back and watch some, some film of Le'Veon Bell in Pittsburgh and take a look at what he was good at. I was being facetious. I fully expected that that had already been done. Turns out it hasn't. Adam Gay said the other day, yeah, talk to Le'Veon. Going to try to find a way to get him more. We're going to go back and look at some of the things he did in Pittsburgh. Are you serious? Like you just went so you just had a full off season, a full set of OTAs, full mini camp, full preseason, full NFL season, and now you're like, I'm gonna go look and see what this guy does well. How is that? I mean, listen, we say it all the time. Whether it's Adam, any coach, any coach, not just Adam Gase. I hear it from fans all the time, and it's 100% right. We always hear about a good coach adapts to his players. You don't force a square peg into a round hole. You say, what are these guys good at? That's what I'm going to have them do. And the worst thing you can have is a coach with a ridiculous ego who just says, well, I don't know if these guys are good at that, but that's what I'm going to have them do because that's what my system calls for. My system is run this way. It's unbelievable. It really is. You know one of the one of the many things that makes Bill Belichick and the Patriots so damn good, as frustrating as it is, and as much as I hate to say it, it's the it's the fact that they'll grab a guy off the scrap heap who's good at like one or two things. And those are the one or two things those are the only things they'll ask him to do. You'll see some guy play like eight rep, eight snaps a game. And we'd be sitting there going, God, how did, how did this guy keep making plays? Well, guy keeps making plays because the coach understands what he's good at and puts him in position to do those things. It's just, it's absolutely infuriating. So I, I digress. Manish Mehta asks Adam Gase 
at the top of the press conference the other day. Do you want Le'Veon Bell back next year? Again, you don't have to like Manish, but that question is totally in order based on the fact that, he, that we saw Bell disappear so many times. You know how difficult, you know how quickly that exchange could have ended if Adam Gase, all Adam Gase had to say was, what coach doesn't want a guy like Le'Veon Bell on his roster? Of course I do. And that's it. That's the end of it. Not Adam Gase. What does Adam Gase say? He's under contract for three more years. That, that wasn't the question, Adam. People know his contract status. The question was, do you, as the head coach of the New York Jets, want him back next year? So Manish Mehta follows up and says, but do you want him next year? To which Adam Gase replies, ask Joe Douglas. I'm not in charge of personnel. Ask Joe. Could you imagine being in a job where you tell somebody else, where you tell somebody to ask somebody else for your opinion? Go ask that other guy what I think. That's what he's saying. I don't, I don't, I'm not in charge of personnel. You don't have to be in charge of personnel to want a guy on your roster. The question was not, are you, Adam Gase, going to 100% guarantee that you will bring Le'Veon Bell back next season? If that was the question, Gase would be right to say, look, I'm not personnel. Talk to Joe. The question was simply, is this what you would prefer? Adam Gase, the head coach of the New York Jets. So Gase acts like a kid. Pouts. No, I I don't like Manish. He doesn't make excuses for me. So I'm going to act like a little kid. And you, Manish, you can ask Joe tomorrow if I want Le'Veon Bell back. He's, I mean, I, I don't know, I don't know what else to say about it. But still people on Twitter. He, he was right to do that. Oh, is Manish asking a question? He doesn't want to answer Manish seriously. So, so what you're telling me is he's, he's got no professionalism. Like he can't put his personal feelings aside and just put us, you know, accept the fact that someone is writing about how his team is actually performing. Not like somebody. I don't know. I don't know what. I have no idea what exclusives Brian Costello of the New York Post or Connor Hughes of the Athletic. I don't know what exclusives they're going to get in exchange for what they've been saying this year. The 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 litany of excuses that have been put forward. And I don't even honestly. I'm I'm going to be honest. Part of me when I look at that when I when I when I see any writer really. It, I shouldn't even single those guys out. For, forget Connor and, and, and Costello. Forget them for a minute. Any writer that that kind of peddles the company line, you know, becomes a mouthpiece for the organization, it is frustrating. Because, yes, in a perfect world, there would be journalistic integrity and, and guys would just write what was true. But these guys, I have to, you know, I respect the fact that it's it's twenty well it's twenty twenty uh, happy new year by the way um, it's twenty twenty folks this day and age if you're not if you're not Adam Schefter or Ian Rappaport you're not getting a scoop you're not Manish gets one you know every every few weeks Manish might get something other than that everybody else is just reporting what other people are reporting how many times you see Adam Schefter send out a tweet. And then within three minutes, everyone on the Jets beat is like, oh, confirm through a source uh, this thing that Adam Schefter already said. These guys, they got a battle. They, I mean, it's not, it's not the old days where everybody just read the local beat and, and these guys had, like, locked in sources inside the building. These guys got to fight and battle every little morsel. To get an exclusive, is, it is not easy. It's not easy. So if I, if I mean honestly, if 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 a writer, any writer, if they're in a position where the organization comes to them and says, "Look, 
if you just keep telling the fans that the coach isn't an idiot, we'll throw you a bone in the offseason. We'll leak some draft uh, prospects. We'll do something. There'll be something this offseason that only you will have. Um, Schefter won't have it. Rappaport won't have it. It'll just be your story if you just spend the next few months really pumping up this this coach who's, you know, the numbers speak for themselves. He's not good. But we need you to tell the meet, tell the fans that this, this guy is good. And so, and I imagine it happens everywhere, not just here. And, um, you know, it's just, it, it's ugly, but it's certainly, and listen, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe, the, you know, maybe Hughes and, and, and Costello, maybe they really believed what they're saying. It would be it be amazing to fathom. I mean, honestly, I saw a tweet today, um, and and really, I shouldn't even mention that. I'll, I'll quote Joe Douglas. Uh, I won't mention the tweet. Um, because Joe Douglas met with the media the day after, of course. Uh, no, no word on whether or not anyone asked Joe Douglas if Adam Gase wanted Le'Veon Bell back. But Joe Douglas, during the presser, said that. The way the offense performed in the second half was uh, was a reason why everyone should have confidence in Adam Gase. And I thought to myself, second half, like that, that's half the season. That's eight games. First half, second half, eight and eight. If you were that good over the final eight games compared to the first eight games, you would, there would be like a substantial bump in the in – the, uh, in the offensive ranking there. You know, it's not like we're saying all oh, the last three games. Because it's like, ah, oh, that's a small sample. You get, how much can you really move offensively in three games um, from wherever you may be ranked prior to those final three games? Not a whole lot. Eight games, that's an entirely different story. I mean, you can jump, you can jump plenty. If you're near the bottom, you can work your way up to the middle of the league. Or, you know, even five, six slots, something, right? So what does Joe Douglas say? Uh, fans should be encouraged uh, because of the way the offense performed in the second half. That should give everyone confidence at Adam Gase. Where do the Jets rank on offense this year? Last. Dead last. 32nd in the league. Nobody was worse than them. How good could they have been over an eight-game stretch if it wasn't good enough to achieve the insurmountable task of climbing up to 31. I mean, really? Are we really going to say that their offense was so good for 50% of the season that they finished 32nd in the NFL? I understand Joe Douglas has to go up there and take bullets for Adam Gase. I understand that. I understand he has to go up there and, you know, blow smoke up our, uh, up our, you know, I don't need, I don't, I don't expect the GM to come out and say, Jesus Christ, Adam was horrible. Uh, I don't know if this relationship's going to work out. He's got to get better or I'm, you know, he's going to be out on his ass. I don't expect that. I ex- but, but don't, when you start drilling down the specifics, and saying, and you're giving me a, a time frame to look at, and saying, hey, over these last eight games, and you know what? May, listen, maybe, maybe over those eight games, maybe they were like 25th in the NFL, but whatever they were, it wasn't good enough to climb one spot, not one. So they were terrible on offense this year in a lot of ways. And there are some, you know, some people I've seen point to the fact that Sam Darnold's completion percentage went up, his touchdowns went up, all this stuff. And that, that's, all, that's all great. But you also have to look at the way this offense was run in terms of Adam Gase's, you know, always being happy enough to call plays. And, you know, some of it could be checking down. I get that. But the number of times we saw Sam Darnold throw several yards short of the sticks. I mean, teams are going to give you those. If it's third and nine, 
and you want to throw the ball four or five yards, yeah, teams will let you do that. Absolutely. And you could say, oh, well, maybe maybe it was Sam. Maybe he just likes to check down, yada, yada, yada. This was the same thing in Miami. This is one of the biggest criticism, criticisms of Adam Gase coming here, is that he frequently called plays that came up short of the sticks. And we saw it a ton this year. So, yeah, if, I would imagine if, if, if he was – he's basically – and here, this is what, what, why it concerns me. I feel like Adam Gase is doing everything he can to turn Sam Darnold into a game manager. Is that, is that why you took this guy at three? To be a game manager? I, I would imagine not. But that certainly appears to be Adam Gase's plan, at least through year one. If a game manager at three is not gonna is not gonna get it done, it really isn't. So the Jets close out the season on a high note. It, well, I mean, six and two down the stretch, right? So let's take a look at those those final eight games that finished up in in Buffalo. And that, that eight-game stretch started against the Giants. They beat the Giants, of course, 34-27. Some big plays from Jamal Adams in that game. Might have been his best game as a pro. Then you beat the Redskins, 34-17. That's probably one of Sam Donald's best games of the year. Then you beat the Raiders, who really, the Raiders just, the wheels fell off for them down the stretch. You got blown out by the winless, by the 0-11 Cincinnati Bengals. Squeaked by the Dolphins with a last-second field goal. And good job by Fitzy, by Fitzy this, uh, this past Sunday, beating the, the, the old Patsies. Good for him. Uh, you got your doors blown off by Baltimore. And then you beat uh, Pittsburgh's third-string quarterback. And then you beat Buffalo's backup quarterback. This is uh this some people are excited by this. And that's fine. That's your right. Um pardon me if uh if it doesn't, you know, blow my doors off. But you beat some backup quarterbacks. You beat some winless teams or teams that were near win no, sorry, you lost to the winless team. My mistake. Um and listen, I say it all the time. You can't put it on the Jets. I'm not saying the Jets don't deserve credit for winning those games. You, as the saying goes, right, you play the schedule. You have no control over who you play. You line up against the team across from you, and you do your best to beat them. And the Jets went 6-2. and two. That's fine. That, you know, tip your cap to them. They, they did what they had to do to win six out of eight games. But the concern is relative to a tougher schedule, how much did you have to do to beat those teams? Because next year, what is it, four trips out to the West Coast? I mean, this what people have said in the past, I remember the Fitzpatrick year when they won 10 games. Uh, all the idiots. Oh, this is literally the easiest schedule in the history of the NFL. Like, not just not just like for that year, not just for the Jets that year. That it was the easiest schedule in NFL history. Um, I don't know about that, but I do know that this schedule this year was the weakest schedule in the NFL. That's that's not a that's not an opinion. The Jets' strength of schedule, the the Jets' opponents' winning percentage, was the lowest in the NFL. So, what are the odds? And so, not only were they playing bad teams all year because they were they were also never traveling they didn't travel they they didn't the, i think the farthest they went was uh was it washington i think that's as far west as they went i mean come on that's ridiculous and it does look like i'm i'm, I'm actually looking it up right now Strength of schedule. There were a couple teams that by week 17 
played some bad enough teams. I think, yeah, I think the Jets had the weakest going into week 16. Then going into week 17, they uh, playing the Bills, a playoff team, some other teams. But even still, opponent winning percentage, 473. That's really, uh, that's not good. Under 500. And then next year, they got the Chiefs. Chiefs are going to be tough. They have Oakland again, so hopefully that'll be a win. But basically, again, next year's schedule is uh, is going to be nowhere near as forgiving. They're traveling to San Diego. I think they're traveling to Kansas City. I forget. I had the schedule pulled up earlier. But I'm not doing the schedule today. I'm just saying that for the, for the powder puff schedule they had this year, they're not getting that again next year. So... Make we take you know take that for what you will. Sub five hundred winning percentage for opponents, and just played some absolute doormats down the stretch. Even Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh was what six and nine or whatever when they played. And I, I think really I think the Jets win that game because Tom. I know he said Tommy Maddox, Jesus, Mason Rudolph came into that game and he looked like he was going to light it up as backup quarterbacks tend to do against the Jets. And then he got hurt. He got knocked out. So that, that kind of preserved that win against Pittsburgh. Otherwise, that's probably a loss. And they, again, they damn near, you know, you need a last-second field goal against the Dolphins, who already beat you once. And now you, you got a chance at home. I mean, they, they, again, they pulled it off. But I don't see how uh, I don't see how you look at how this team performed against some bad teams. And act like, you know, they just uh, they went on a 12-game winning streak. So it's it's been ugly. Gase, really, I, I don't – It's I even said the other day, I said, and then I can't stop talking about him because it's so infuriating. Um, you know, he does something stupid like he did the other day um, at the presser. And I don't think we'll see him again until the combine, if I'm not mistaken. But look, the Jets are obviously fine with what he did. They're fine with the record. They're fine with seven and nine. They would have been fine with like three and thirteen, because he is where the NFL is going. Apparently, I would I would strongly disagree. But I mean, listen. The, the only hope you have at this point, Jets fans, it, one of two things: the roster that's so strong that it can overcome Adam Gase's uh, shortcomings, or Adam Gase talks to some good coaches. And learns a few things. That I don't see happening. I think he's too stubborn. I think in seeing that interaction with Manish the other day, and I tweeted this out, like he 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 walks around like he's accomplished something. Now, in the grand scheme of things, like in life, yeah, he's an NFL head coach. That's not an easy gig to get. He's accomplished that. But in that realm, as an NFL head coach, all he's done is make a name from getting fired, pissing off his players, and being the only coach in the history of the NFL to lose to two teams with a record of 0-7 or worse. Uh, but he, he walks around like he's got some uh, some Lombardis uh, in his in his past, which he does not. Everyone talks about, oh, look what we did for Peyton Manning's record-setting offense. How'd that record-setting offense do in the Super Bowl, by the way? Anybody remember that? What the, what the offensive genius who carried Peyton Manning? And are we going to talk about this Wyatt account? Do I need to talk about that? Are we going to cover this? I'm just thinking out loud. So, in case you... There was a... Supposed potential burner account belonging to Adam Gase. This was the theory that was pitched in an article by Manish Mehta. Uh, within minutes of the article being published, Manish basically said there may have been a burner account uh, defending Gase. Someone found an account at Wyatt V17, at Wyatt V18, I think it is. And uh, if you went back and if you looked at the account itself, it was all, every tweet was just defending Adam Gase. It had never sent a tweet. It had never, I don't think it had ever retweeted a tweet. All this account had done. Oh no, it did. It it retweeted pro gay stuff, um, and all it did was defend gay. This this account clearly existed solely to defend Adam Gase. 
And there was talk, is it Gase? Is it a family? I, I read it and thought, that sounds like a family member. That sounds like a wife or a kid. Um, and anyway, the rumors, it's this person, it's that person, it's someone in the organization, it's Manish, which I don't think it was. I don't believe that for a second. Uh, and then someone, uh, someone on Twitter did some investigative reporting and uh, did some digging and thinks he found that it belongs to someone in the organization. Anyway, bottom line is, as per usual with the Jets, everything's got to be a train wreck. And it, it, there is there exists the possibility that someone working for the team created a Twitter account with the sole purpose of defending Adam Gase and over and over and over and over again that he uh, he did so much for Peyton Manning. Uh, that's the one thing he can claim. Uh, so what the hell is going on with that? Nobody really knows. Uh, could get ugly. Rich Samini of ESPN actually tweeted out. Uh, he didn't address it for the couple days it was a story. And then he just tweeted out, this is going to be a good chapter for the book. Obviously, he will be writing a book at some point when he hangs him up. Uh, and hashtag Wyatt. So there's something going on that, well, who the hell knows? Only, only in Jetland. This is what the Jets do, right? It's, it really is just, it's beyond infuriating. But at the same time, kind of hilarious. I mean, really, who does this? Things that happen to this team. Today's a 20-year anniversary, by the way. I'll tell you this. If you haven't, Dennis Wozak tweeted earlier for people to read it. <clears throat> go on Twitter, go to ESPN.com, whatever it may be, and look up, look at Rich Samini's article today that he wrote on the 20-year anniversary of Bill Belichick slithering out of the Jets' facility up to New England and, and walking out on the Jets after having contractually agreed to stay on as the head coach. Belichick gave some garbage excuse like, uh, oh, it's the instability with ownership. Uh, I, didn't, we, I didn't know who the owner was going to be. Uh, my theory, I think Belichick was tired of putting in the work and watching Parcells get the credit. And once he realized Parcells would be staying on as vice president, Belichick said, you know what? If I win here, he's going to get the credit. I'm going to go be my own man somewhere else. That, just a theory. Just my theory. Um, has been for years. But uh, as Smeeney says in the story, many people close to Belichick just refused to take part. No, Nobody who actually knows what happened is willing to speak about what happened. Belichick has spoken about it, but he's simply said, uh, it was the instability of ownership. Uh, we didn't know who the owner was going to be, so I left. Like, that matters. You're going to get your paycheck. Players are going to get their paychecks. You know, it, anyway, wonderful 20-year anniversary of that, that, uh, that guy leaving the building. Which, by the way, um, New England, no first-round bye. That's, that, that could be fun. The playoffs might actually be fun this year. New England's got to work a little. And Tom Brady, for those of you who have been watching, looks nothing like Tom Brady at the moment. So that's uh, it's been a pretty ugly situation. He's been completing about 50% of his passes every week. So hopefully uh, hopefully the wheels are coming off in New England and that, that team will come down to earth. And, and they'll, be just like every, they'll be just like every other team, struggling, fighting, scratching and clawing every year to make the playoffs and not just kind of getting an honorary spot. And that's not to say that I put in the work. It just, damn, it does feel like it every year, doesn't it? They just, those who just show up. It feels like the season starts and they're 10-3. and three, And then they just play a couple more and walk into the postseason. But anyway, against the Bills, just a quick recap there. Sam Ficken, who will likely be on his way out, missed a couple field goals. But he hit one early to give the Jets a 3-0 lead. Then Hauschka hits one later on for Buffalo to tie it up. Jamison Crowder scores the only touchdown of the day from the one-yard line from Sam Darnold. Back of the end zone. Puts the Jets up 10-3. Ficken hits another kick later, a 47-yarder. And Hauschka hits another one later, fourth quarter, uh, with under a minute to go to make it 13-6. That's your final score. Darnold on the day. Wasn't pretty driving rain. Um, made conditions less than ideal. I mean, is it so so bad that, you know, you should only score one point against uh, the Bills? Probably not, but that's what happened. Darnold goes 23 out of 36, 199, a touchdown and an interception. 
Le'Veon Bell, 16 carries for 41. That's just terrible. Bilal Powell, 7 for 27. That's a little bit better. Uh, not a whole lot, though, to be honest. And on the receive, as, in terms of receiving, for the Jets, Jamison Crowder led the way, 8 catches for 66. Bilal had 5 for 36. Vincent Smith, who I'm looking forward to seeing more of next year, 3 for 36. And Robbie Anderson, a very quiet three catches for 18 yards. And I think the Robbie Anderson thing is something that Joe Douglas did address during his presser, saying he has spoken to Robbie. Robbie knows how much we value him here. Um, I don't know what you told Robbie, but whatever you told him, I can't imagine he, you know, actions speak louder than words, right? So if you've had all this time to get Robbie Anderson signed and you haven't, um, and you don't get him signed, then you can talk all you like about how much how important a guy is and how much you like him. If you're not willing to pay him to stay, well, who the hell cares, right? He walk and create another hole on the roster. That looks like something the Jets are willing to do, and that's that's a little bit uh, discouraging, but. Speaking of free agents, I wanted to touch on this one tonight. Just a thought I had. We, you know, we know we're well aware of the fact the offensive line has to be rebuilt. Then, the, you know, the question is, do they really, really need five new starters? I don't think so. I think if you add a tackle and at least one high high-end interior lineman through the draft. And then maybe you sign a guy to compete for a starting spot. I think you, if you told me you're going to go into next year with Kelvin Beecham, who I know is a free agent, but hypothetically, if you say, look, next year's starting lineup is going to be Kelvin Beecham and then a second or third round pick at left guard, another pick at center. And that you know, actually, let's say Alex Lewis. Let's say Beecham at left left tackle, Alex Lewis at left guard, and you sign a free agent to compete with him. Maybe someone takes that job, but you pencil Lewis in to start. Jonathan Harrison to compete with a rookie. Who I, I want? I want uh, Tyler Beatus or badass as, as some people like to call him. I would love for them to get that kid and start him at center. But let's say let's say you go Beecham Lewis who competes with a rookie, Harrison, who competes with a rookie. You get yourself a stud tackle who can play left tackle, but you start him as a rookie at right tackle. And then another free agent, maybe a Brandon Scherf at right guard. I'd be I'd be completely fine with that. You're bringing back Beecham. You're bringing back Harrison. Those two are likely to start. You're drafting a guard. You're drafting a right tackle. And you're signing a guard. And this, the, tack, the the guard that you draft is going to compete with Lewis. Whoever wins, wins. And I would prefer that to, well, let's dump $60 million into two or three offensive linemen and use four picks. I know it's I know it's hyperbolic with a lot of people saying that, you know, we need to use every pick on O-line. I know that's a lot of hyperbole in there. But, and, you know, at this very moment, the Jets don't have as many picks as they're going to have when this thing, when this offseason kicks off or when this draft. There will be some trades. One of them, possibly Le'Veon Bell, right? Joe Douglas, that was another thing we were going to talk about, and that's a good segue into that. Joe Douglas was asked that during his presser. What's, what's up with Le'Veon Bell? Are you, going to, are you going to get him signed? Or are you going to bring him back? Uh, to which he gave the right answer. Look, people call. We'll answer the phone. We'll talk to anybody. Uh, but Le'Veon's been great. We love him. He's done everything we asked for him, being a role model. All the nice things, all the right things you say about a player. And follow that up with, if people call, we're going to listen. So I would fully expect, 100% expect Le'Veon Bell to be gone. So that alone, you're adding a pick there, if not two. You know, maybe you get a mid and a late rounder, or maybe you get one, you know, maybe you get a three. Maybe you don't get a three. Maybe you get a four and a six. And you're going to have to pick up some of his salary, too. But I think Bell's gone. So the Jets are going to have more picks than they're sitting there with right now. So taking 
I mean, if, if you're going into the draft and you have, say, 10 picks, three of them on offensive linemen, not the end of the world. And that, that's the good thing about this team right now. And the most important thing that Joe Douglas said during his presser, and the most important thing that I happen to agree with, is that there are good pieces in place right now. You do have some good pieces. You've got Darnold. I know he missed the year, but you've got Herndon. He's coming back. You've got Adams. You've got May. Bless Austin looked really good. The D-line across the board looked really good. Fadakasi came into his own. Kyle Phillips as a rookie looked really good. I'm still 100% believer in Quinn and Williams. Although, if he doesn't come into the camp a little bit cut up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start to worry a little bit. Uh, the, the only thing that will stop him from being great is if he doesn't have the work ethic. I'm not saying we're going to find out if he does. You get Mosley back. You get Williamson back. May and Adams. Like I said, bless Austin, looked really good. So this defense, as it stands right now, you can make the case is a corner. Because look, Mollett and, and Kennedy, those guys played well. I'm not saying I'm going to go into the season with them as my starters, but the, you got a little depth there now with those two, or it certainly appears to be the case. So now you've got, let's say you, let's say you pencil bless Austin as your, as your number two corner. Mullet is three and Kennedy is four. So what do you need in your secondary? You need, you need a, a number one corner, which is tough to get. I understand that. But you get a number one corner. And then, you know, I mean, you'd love to get yourself an all-world edge rusher. We just need a good one. Get a, get a good edge rusher because I think that, uh, I think, uh, you know, average to above average, above average edge guy. With Quinn and Williams heading into year two, and what we saw on the defensive front this year, I think you'd be able to get a good amount of pressure on the quarterback. We saw what happened late in the season with Jamal Adams, using him to blitz a little bit more. So you'll have some pieces to play with. There are some foundational pieces here, most of them on defense. But the most important one on offense, Sam Darnold. So Joe Douglas isn't wrong when he says they have some pieces to build around and some things to work with here. This isn't taking over for John Idzik when you have Geno Smith and you got to try to unscrew that up. But now Douglas, it, again, he's got to fix the O-line. And, and you know, in, in a rare situation where the Jets catch a break, the Jets need, the Jets need a couple receivers, especially if they're going to let Robbie walk. And from all indications, this is the draft to need a couple receivers because there are a lot of good ones. A lot of good ones. Jerry Judy, will he be there at 11? I suggested earlier, I got people, oh, no, no way he'll be there. No way he'll be there. Listen, they told me no way Donald would be there. They told me no way Jamal Adams would be there. Guys fall. Guys fall inexplicably. Guys who shouldn't fall, fall. It happens. Actually saw two mock drafts today that had Judy going one going at 11 and one going 12. It wouldn't be the most surprising thing in the world. But if you did that, you had a, you had a, you had Judy to Herndon. Crowder's coming back. Who I don't think Crowder gets enough credit for the year he had. Established a new career high in receptions. 78. Just missed a new career high in yards. 847 was his previous high in 2016. He had 833. So another 15 yards and he would have topped his career high in yards. Not a bad year at all for Jamison Crowder. So Judy, Crowder, Herndon, <laughs> Bell, unlikely. But they're, listen, it, this, is, this is probably the worst part of the season because your, your football season is not in the playoffs and your team can't really make any moves because the offseason is not here. So this will be, uh, it'll be a rough few weeks or, you know, 
I mean, it would be a lot more enjoyable if uh, somebody knocks the Patriots out of the playoffs. But, uh, by the way, the Pats get round one. The Pats get the Titans. And, uh, man, those Titans. That what, what a hell of a year Ryan Tannehill finished up having. You know, he had those good three or four games, and me and Alex talked about it. And it was like, oh, can he sustain that? Can he keep it up? What, what type of year is he going to have? Well, Ryan Tannehill finished up with a 70% completion percentage. 70. 7-0. Actually, 7-0.3. 22 touchdowns. You know how many interceptions? Six. So nearly a 4-to-1 touchdown-interception ratio. Average 10 yards per attempt. Over 13 yards per completion. Th- that, there's, your, there's your NFL comeback player of the year right there. Ryan Tannehill gets out uh, from under under Adam Gase's wing and just blossoms. What a what a year, what a story that is. And another new this isn't Jets news yet. We're hoping, hoping like hell it will be Jets news. With now the likelihood, I would I would say probably not very likely at all, but the rumor is that former Jets current Bills coach Bill Callahan is going to be let go in Washington. If I'm the Jets, I am backing up the Brinks truck. Get that dude here. Make him the highest paid O-line coach in the NFL and get him back. However, I just I don't see it happening. I don't see Adam Gase being open to the possibility of bringing in a guy who's as respected as he is offensively with head coaching experience. So that's uh it's 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 a pipe dream at this point. As much as I would like for it to happen, I just don't see it happening. It would be great. I Jets fans would fully support it. It would be an absolutely awesome situation, but I don't see that happening. I really don't. And we'll we'll find out in the coming because I don't think it he won't be out there for very long. Uh, if Callahan's let go, he will be absolutely, he'll be scooped up quickly. As a matter of fact, there's already talk that the Dolphins will will make a, will be in play. And uh, Brian Flores will, will try to make a run at him. So we'll see what happens there. Um, in terms of individual performances in that Bills game, going back to that, jumping around a little bit tonight. Terrell Basham, what a game he had. He had a strip sack that was taken away by idiot officials. Replay showed it was, in fact, a strip sack. But he had a really, really strong, you know, final quarter of the season. He had a, a interception. Again, the strip sack that was taken away. So Basham really playing himself into the equation. And it, you really do, you get the feeling, anytime I've heard Greg Williams talk about him, uh, you get the feeling he really likes the kid. And understandably so. He's, you know, he looks like he's going to be a good player. Fadakasi had himself a nice year. And I'm, I, we're gonna, what we're going to do now, as a matter of fact, having mentioned those two guys, we're just going to go down player by player and just kind of pick out the biggest surprises of the year. Who surprised, who didn't. Not so much a report card. I'm not going to give out 53 different grades, 60 different grades. We're going to go down. We're going to look at the roster and just say who impressed, who got better, who disappointed. All that good stuff. Jamal Adams, of course, second consecutive Pro Bowl, second of what should be many. Teams will come knocking for him in the offseason, I do believe. And I think if the Jets don't want to pay $15 million a year, they will in fact, look to move him. My hope is that they don't. My hope is that he's a Jet for a very long time. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. But again, his play was absolutely off the charts. Henry Anderson was a bit of a disappointment. He didn't really do a whole lot. And he kind of escaped criticism for some reason, not just from myself. Um, a lot of folks, you didn't really hear, you didn't really hear a lot of people talking about how, how Henry Anderson played this year. But when you look at the season he had last year, 
16 games, three starts, seven sacks last season. And then this year, six, 13 games, all starts, one sack. Tackles went from 77, sorry, 57 to 39. Tackles for loss went from 7 to 3. Quarterback hits went from 16 to 9. So, I mean, his Williams does rotate his guys out so much. In, in some fairness to Anderson, he, he, he played far fewer snaps. But still, one sack, 450 snaps, one sack. That's uh, I don't know. He, he it was just a very quiet year. Don't get me wrong. I like the guy a lot. I was fully on board with giving him a new contract. He got it. Just uh, didn't play as well as we'd hoped. You know, Robbie Anderson again. I feel like not. I feel like I'm 100% confident. This is the third year in a row uh, having to play a chunk of the season with bad quarterbacks is the only thing that stops him from getting a thousand yards. Austin, we talked about really, really pleasant surprise. Played very well down the stretch. Um, surprisingly, gave up a big play and was benched for the final six quarters of the season. That was pretty bizarre. I did not see that coming. We've talked about Basham. We've talked about Beecham. I Beecham. You try to get him back on a one or two year deal because let's face it, if you don't, let's say you let Kelvin Beecham walk if day comes. And then there's a run on left tackles early on because that can happen because there are some good ones in this class. And you're the Jets at 11, and you come up time to pick, and the top three tackles are gone. You're either going to have to reach and take a second-round talent in round one, or you're going to have to wait until round two and hope that the next couple guys don't go late in that round. And you you basically could end up having to pick the sixth or seventh best tackle on your board and starting that guy. That's not ideal. So I think you try to get Beecham back on a one- or two-year deal with lots of incentives. But I think uh, because of the lack of quality tackles in the league, he's a guy who will get a better offer than what the Jets will make. Le'Veon Bell, played, he played great. He, I mean, his the numbers don't support it, but, man, he played his ass off. Um, and really, I think, was much better than the numbers indicate. He's in a situation where the coach wasn't really sure what to do with him or how to use him. Braxton Berrios, want to see more of that dude as a receiver. I think that dude can be a player. James Burgess, phenomenal story. Another one of those guys played for, signed with, released by 20 teams, yada, 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 and just and did a really stellar job for Greg Williams' defense. I think that it's it, it certainly seemed – I don't have it in front of me. It certainly seemed like he led the team in tackles every week for, for, for about seven weeks. So he, he finishes up the season having started a career-high 10 games and a career-high 80 tackles. So good on him, and uh, hopefully see more of him in the future as a depth guy. Candidate we talked about, Copeland, very quiet, surprisingly quiet. Uh, really... Disappointing to some degree. Expected a little bit more out of him. Jamison Crowder, we've talked about. Sam Darnold, again, the numbers statistically slightly better in a few categories. Uh, a lot of that due to the, the checking down and the, and the short dump-offs, which is a shame. Fadakasi, we discussed. Big, big year two for him. Jonathan Harrison stepped in, played admirably. Once Ryan Khalil was was uh, had to be sent packing, Neville Hewitt, another depth guy who did a really good job when he was called on the start. Not quite on the same level as Avery Williamson, but, but still a really good player. Jordan Jenkins, good year. I, I've you know I have to be honest, I've kind of started to turn, uh, change my opinion a little bit of on on how the Jets should approach the Jordan Jenkins thing. Uh, don't get me wrong. He's one of my favorite guys on the roster. Great character guy. Somebody's going to give him $10 million a year. I don't think it's going to be the Jets, and I don't really know that it should be the Jets. Um, $10 million, $11 million, whatever he's going to command. This team has some cap space, but I don't think they have enough to be giving every guy on the roster $10 million. You can't give Robbie 10 and give Beecham 10 and give Jenkins 10 You know, before you know it. 
you haven't added any any new players, and uh, and you're running out of cap space. And I just feel like Jenkins, a, a lot of his sacks, and I'm not not this isn't a knock, but a lot of his sacks are effort sacks. Some people, you know, complain that he's not athletic, and I'm 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 not even I'm not even complaining about the guy. I'm just looking at where money has to. And I I think it's what it is for me with Jenkins. I I think the price tag is a little high. It's more than I would be willing to pay. If if he wants ten, I I can't do that. If he wants seven, I bring him back absolutely. Maybe even eight. But I think he's going to be looking for upwards of ten, maybe eleven, twelve million. And I just don't think that's uh, I don't think that with all the other needs on the roster, I don't think that's a uh, that's the money. I don't I wouldn't spend that anyway. Uh, next guy, Arthur Mollett, Talk about him a little bit. Did a really nice job. Played poorly against Cincinnati. That was really his only really bad game of the year. Other than that, he did a nice job. Marcus May played more snaps on defense than any other player on the roster, despite fans spending all of last year and all offseason trying to tell me the man was made of glass because he had a couple of injuries. Uh, Absolutely idiotic take. Connor McDermott stepped in, played a little bit, didn't do anything fantastic. Steve McClendon, love him. Still the highest character guy, still the, the leader on that team as far as I'm concerned. Ty Montgomery, I wouldn't say he was a disappointment. I was disappointed in how little he was used. I thought he could have done a lot more. Kyle Phillips, you got to love what he brought as an undrafted rookie out of Tennessee. Brian Poole, the only bad thing about Brian Poole is that he only signed a one-year deal. Because he's another one who's going to be looking for some money. Uh, Brent Qual, I said before, I think it was before the season, I said and I tweeted out that they need to look at Brent Quale at guard. With all the issues they have at guard, I thought Quale should have had a look. And he played there against Buffalo, and I thought he did a pretty damn good job. I thought he played well. I would I would absolutely bring him back and keep working him in that spot, even if it ends up being as a depth guy, because he still has value as a backup tackle, and I think he's good enough to be starting guard. Daryl Roberts, I think, is gone after this season. Huge disappointment. Said before the year that I hoped he would pick up where he left off the previous season, and he did not. Brandon Shell, I believe, is gone. Nathan Shepard, another huge bounce-back season for that guy. Have to like what you saw out of him. Vincent Smith, more to be seen out of that guy. 6'3", really good speed. Maybe the Jets envision him as the guy who can replace Robbie Anderson. I don't know. I don't know if he's quite that fast. Uh, fairly, a little bit disappointed Javon Wesco. Thought we'd see more out of him late in the year. Actually put a little money on him to score the first touchdown of the game again this week. Figured it's going to happen. It's going to happen at some point. And damn it, it nearly did. Incomplete pass to Wesco right before the touchdown to Jamison Crowder from the one-yard line. Uh, Quinnen Williams talked about him earlier. I I still think he's going to be a stud, but I think he's got to do some special things in year two to make people forget about the Josh Allen situation. And that's everyone else. Guys I didn't touch on are guys that are just kind of uh, didn't do a whole lot more or a whole lot less than what was expected. And guys, it'll be, uh, you know, we'll we'll do a a more in-depth. Next time I've got Alex on. We'll do a more in-depth, full rundown of the whole roster. New additions, subtractions, things like that. There were some guys signed to some future contracts. Uh, Punter Ian Berryman, linebacker Ahmad Gordon. Wide receiver Keon Hatcher, Bronson Kafusi again as a familiar name. His brother Corbin Kafusi. Brad Londonblade, offensive lineman. Brett Maher, kicker, former, former Cowboys kicker. James Murray, not of Impractical Jokers, offensive lineman. Wyatt Ray, D-lineman, and Mike White, uh, who I was really hoping, especially I thought week 17, you know, you're playing the Bills backups, no need to get Sam Hurt. I was hoping they'd activate Mike White and we'd see a little bit of him. That obviously did not happen. And just, good Lord, look at the names on IR, and it is just absolutely ridiculous. Frustrating year, seven and nine. I said nine wins to start the season, and uh, you know that was, of course, I, I had. I mean, listen, none of us know any of this stuff. I didn't know Washington was going to be as bad as they were. I didn't think Cincinnati was going to be atrocious. Um, Oakland, I thought would have been a little more competitive. So as, as it happens every year, 
Some teams are a little better than you think. Some teams are a little worse than you think. So this team did fall short of my expectations. Um, but, you know, listen, if you, if, you, if you beat the two winless teams, then you are 9-7. and seven. But, you know, as they say, if uh, – well, yeah, we won't, we won't say that. Kids, some, some people will show kids in the car, and we're aware of that. So um, anyway, that'll do it for us this week. Well, for me this week, hopefully we will have Alex back when we uh, convene – next week to go over we'll we'll do a little playoffs recap i'm sure there'll be some uh interesting storylines as always and uh and some off-season preview what the jets need to do to get better and get a little bit more specific than we have you know i'm like i said today was like recap overview here's what they did you know not not a ton to talk about with the buffalo win because again you beat some backups not a huge deal but there were some small things to take out of that game. But that being said, we will wrap things up for tonight, and we'll get deeper into things next week. And again, with the audio, I'm sure this was not great again, but we are actively working with Blog Talk to get this figured out to deliver a better-sounding product to you guys. Thanks again for tuning in, Jets fans. Have a great night. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets!